Well, hi. 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 Uh, my, name, <laughs> my name is Micah Stevens. If you haven't met me, uh, I am one of the pastors here on staff. I'm the pastor over the worship department. I'm also the pastor over the administration department. Um, so basically what that means is that if you see or hear anything that you don't like, it's my fault. You understand that? Okay, cool. Just send me an email, micah at godspeak.com. I'll just file it, spam, little spam folder. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but seriously, uh, I, I absolutely love what I do. I love what I do, and I love who I get to do it with. And uh, Pastor Rick says all the time that it's, it's like an unstoppable quality of life when you get to do what you love doing, but you're not just doing it with random people. You're doing it with people that you actually love, right, participating in that thing with. And it's a, it's a, seldom we find ourselves in that position, so I, I recognize how blessed I am, right? It's usually either one or the other. You get to, I absolutely love what I do, but my coworkers are absolutely horrible, right? Or vice versa, I hate my job, but I have really awesome coworkers. So it's really cool to find yourself uh, in that spot, which is uh, where I found myself. And so uh, I'm excited to be here, share with you guys. Um, we're gonna start with a question today. We're gonna start with a question as we uh, kick off this service. What is your reasonable service to God? What is your reasonable service to God? We're gonna answer that question from the book of Romans, from the book of Romans. So if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Our ushers are going to bring you one. If you don't have a Bible, shame on, no, I'm just kidding. If you don't have a Bible, keep it. Uh, it's yours. We want you to use it. We just ask that you actually read it. So uh, Romans, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, we'll get there. Uh, before we actually get into the verse that we're going to camp on. We're going to do a flyover. We're going to do a flyover of the book of Romans really quickly because there is a really incredible amount of um, theology in the book of Romans, and it's a masterpiece of a book. But we're just going to do a quick, a quick little flyover. Uh, by the way, that little kid you saw running up after worship, that's a fifth of my children. Uh, that, that was... What's that one's name? No, I'm kidding. That was Abel. <laughs> uh, that was Abel. Uh, he's awesome. We're going to talk about my kids in a little bit just because they're so entertaining. I can't help it. Um, but before we get, uh, before we land in chapter 12, which is where we're going to go, you don't have to turn to all these chapters. I just want to give you guys a, a, a flyover, bird's eye view. What is the book of Romans all about? Well, in chapters one through four, Chapters one through four, the, the big, if we can break it down, the big idea is that you need help. And it's pretty clear, right? We look around and <laughs> we need help, right? And it, it might come to a shock uh, uh, for some of you, but the truth is, and it's, it's pretty bad. Like we're pretty miserable people without Jesus. And we need help. We need help from God. People think that, uh, there's some people that think that we're born good, and we just are not. You don't have to teach Abel how to say no, right? You have to teach him how to say, yes, mama, yes, dada. You have to teach them obedience. We need help. We see that in Romans 3, chapter 23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, we all fall short. But 
God's righteous character has moved to rescue humanity through Jesus. It brings us to chapters five through eight. You need help, but Jesus will help you, right? You need help, you need help, and Jesus will help you. With Jesus, we're given the gift of new life in Christ. We're joined with him through the finished work of his crucifixion and resurrection. Romans 6, 6, no more sixes, Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This is the good news. We had bad news, now we have good news. Jesus will help you. Chapters 9 through 11 is the reality that both Jews and Gentiles get to partake in this. Both Jews and Gentiles get to partake in the riches of Jesus. And uh, this is Paul's anguish. He's anguishing over his own Jewish people. Paul was the Jewiest of all Jews, right? He was the, the uh, I got, I got uh, suckered into saying that one. Dewey was like, this is the funniest. Thing. He's in the green room right now laughing so hard because he's like, you have to say Jewiest. It's the funniest thing in the world. Um, by the way, I preached a sermon at, at Young Adults on Tuesday night. So if you were at Young Adults and you listened to the sermon and you're upset that you have to listen to it again, it's just God telling you that you weren't paying attention and you really need to soak this one in, all right? So, so Jewiest of Jews was Paul. He's anguishing over his people. He's anguishing over his own people. And the beautiful thing about chapters 9 through 11 is that we learn that both Jews and Gentiles, raise your hand if you're Jewish. A little bit, How, what percent, 4%? Not bad, not bad. What <laughs> percent? Uh, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Did you know that? I don't know. I, someone like cheered for that. Like, yes, I'm a Gentile. Awesome. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And the good news is that in the Old Testament, right, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And now through Jesus, you get to partake in that alike. We look at Romans eleven thirty six. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. It's all his. It's all the Lord's, right? So we said, you need help. Christ will help you. And that's help is for anyone who would receive it. And that's it, right? We get to go home. The end. We don't need any more. We could literally stop there. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of people do stop there, right? I'm saved. um, And that's about it. That's all, that's all I know. But the amazing thing about this life in Jesus is that now we get to experience life on earth more abundant. So now what, right? What are we going to do? And that's what we get to in chapters 12 through 16. Chapters 12 through 16 highlights our response to God's mercy. Our response to God's mercy. And that's where we're going to end. That's where we're going to end up here in Romans chapter 12. What do we do now that we've experienced God's mercy as a unified body of Christ. So we're going to read in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand up as we read this. It's going to be on the screen. So if you're not, if you don't have that quickness with the Bible, you can just cheat and look up here. We have Romans 12, 1. Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy 
and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, your reasonable service. Let's pray again, because we need it. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, would it um, transform our hearts, Lord, from the inside out. We give it all to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. I learned, uh, I did a wedding last week, and I learned the hard way that, uh, especially during a wedding, you have to tell people that they can sit down after you have everyone stand for the bride. It was like 10 minutes in, and everyone's still standing, and I was like, oh no, I'm sorry. You can sit now. Uh, but uh, we're here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And we, we're going to break down this verse. We're going to break down the words in this verse. We're going to look at what is Paul telling us. Now that we have everything from Romans chapter 1 to chapter 11, what are we going to do now? What's our response? And the first thing that Paul says is, I beseech you. I beseech you. What this is an appeal, it's an appeal to our will, to your will, right? If it came naturally to us, if we woke up every morning and our flesh just wanted to serve God, Paul wouldn't have to virtually beg us to do it, right? If it came naturally, he wouldn't have to ask. And what we're highlighting here is that you have to choose to live your life to glorify God. This is a choice. It doesn't just magically happen. It's a conscious choice of our will, a death, a continual dying to our flesh, a living sacrifice has to be willful. Willful sacrifices happen to be the best kind of sacrifices, right? Nobody likes to unwillfully sacrifice something. I want a choice in that sacrifice. And so what a blessing that we get to actually choose that, right? We get to choose, wake up every morning and choose that sacrifice. It's a willful participation 1 Chronicles 29.9, what's happening here is that King David has uh, gathered the people and he's receiving an offering for the building of the temple. He's given generously, willfully, and now instead of having to force the people to give, the people willfully give of their own accord, not out of guilt, but out of worship. It says, then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly, right? It inspired them. They rejoiced because with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord and King David also rejoiced greatly. Your service to God is 100% voluntary. It's not contingent on how you feel. It's not contingent on whether or not you had a bad morning with your family. This is just like marriage, Right? If, you've, if you're married, you understand this, or hopefully you understand this. If you don't, hopefully you will after we're done talking about it, because it'll transform your marriage. The understanding that this is a choice, right? Being a good spouse is just being a good Christian. Being a good spouse is just being a good Christian. Don't ask the people here whether or not you're a good Christian, whether or not you're a good follower of, of Jesus, Ask your wife, ask your husband, right? It's easy for me to fool you guys. I see you guys maybe once a week, right? Up here on a stage, there's lots of separation. All I have to do is smile, right? I don't, it's, not, it's not hard for me to convince you that I'm a good Christian. But my wife, on the other hand, right? I have to wake up every morning and the, the tendency is just gonna be like, she'll be there tomorrow, right? I'll, try, I'll just try again tomorrow, with you guys, the stakes are really high. 
If I come in and I act like a jerk, you'll probably leave and I'll never see you again. The stakes are high. But the people we're closest to oftentimes are the hardest to love, the hardest to show that love. And the, the reality is that just like in our marriage, our love for the Lord and our sacrifice to him is a choice. I don't naturally want to be a good dad. In my flesh, I don't naturally in my flesh want to be a good husband, right? I have to choose that. And that choice is the thing that makes it meaningful. I don't have to go home to my family after I'm done here. It's not some magical emotional feeling of love inside that compels me to go home every night. Because if it was, I wouldn't have gone home a while ago because our feelings fade away. Our feelings fade away. It's a choice. That's what makes it beautiful. Every morning, you have to wake up and choose your service to God. It's the same way with your relationship with the Lord. To either serve God or to serve yourself. Choose this day. Reminds me of Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Presenting yourself as a living sacrifice isn't passive. This isn't something that just happens. It's an active, constantly pursuing the Lord. It's something that's intentionally and willfully practiced. Amen? Amen. Moving on in this verse, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul is connecting the word therefore. He's connecting all of the theology that we learned in chapters 1 through 11, all of, all of that theology, he's connecting to now the application of what, what is it that we are now to do in light of all those things. Therefore, understanding that you need help, understanding that Jesus will help you, understanding that his righteousness can be put on your behalf, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... This is the why. You always have to start with the why. Why do we do this? Why am I offering my life a living sacrifice to the Lord? Why am I offering my body a living sacrifice to the Lord? By the mercies of God. It's his mercy that compels us to service. In light of everything that he's done for us. We, be, we begin to grow bitter and tired of serving when we forget that the fact that we didn't wake up in hell is God's mercy. Amen? And the fact that we then were able to get out of bed is his grace. And anything after that is just him showering onto us undeserved blessing. In light of that mercy, that compels us to service. Now, you've probably heard it said before that mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, which is to go to hell. <laughs> that sounds crazy, right? We're not used to hearing that in church. 
not getting what you deserve, which is to go to hell. You deserve to go to hell. Grace is then getting what you do not deserve, anything that is not going to hell. That is grace. That is grace. And we know his grace intimately. We know his grace because we're continually surrounded by it. His grace is easy to understand. His grace is the only reason why we're here. It just, it's constant, common and uncommon. The grace that everybody experiences apart from Jesus, just this beautiful world that everybody gets to be in, and the things that are not so common, right? The special grace that he gives us, that's, that's front and center. We know his grace intimately. And Pastor Rob quotes this from Thomas Paine often, that which we obtain too easily, we esteem too lightly. And we associate that, that idea with his grace often. But we're going to take a look at his mercy. For a lot of people, mercy is just a one-time thing, right? We got, we got saved. We experienced mercy. I'm not going to hell, which I deserve. I understand that. And now it's just grace. But we're going to dwell on his mercy a little. We're going to look at two concepts. We're going to look at grace and mercy. And we're going to focus on, uh, we're going to put those in contrast. His grace and his mercy. His grace and his mercy. To be given a gift of grace is one thing. But to be forgiven a debt through mercy. It's all made possible by his mercy. So we're going to do this. It is his grace that offers us the gift of salvation. It's his grace. But it is his mercy that first justified us. His mercy justified us. It is his grace that adopts us into his family. But it is his mercy that pulled us out from under the heritage of death. That's the family that we deserved. We deserved that family. His mercy pulled us out from that. It's his grace that gives us freedom. We love our freedom here at God Speak. Amen? But it is his mercy that we are no longer under the law. It is his grace that allows us to be the dwelling place of his Holy Spirit. But it is his mercy that we are no longer vessels of wrath. It is his grace that we are made alive in Christ. But it is his mercy that we are no longer dead in our trespasses. It is his grace that promises us life everlasting. And it is his mercy that that life everlasting is not eternity in hell. Amen? In light of all of those mercies, right, that's what Paul is getting at. Therefore, by the mercies of God, what are we to do now? What are we going to choose to do? Or as the great Francis Schaeffer said, how should we then live? What's next? What are we doing? Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. We can look at the word body here, not just talking about our physical being, not just talking about our physical being, but our entire being, everything about you. God wants you as a reasonable sacrifice, not just what you do for him. It's a really spiritual spiritually mature thing to understand the difference between those concepts. God doesn't just want your service, what you do. He wants you. And that's why the word body is used here. 
Because there's nowhere that you are that your body is not. Right? Raise your hand if you're here. See? (laughs) There's nowhere that you cannot escape from yourself. God doesn't just want what you do for him. This is a hard one for volunteers in in, in church. Because a lot of times, and I've been there. We show up, we give God our, our thing, and then we go home. And we're like, cool, that was really fun being a Christian. But God wants you. You can't walk away from your service to God. It's your entire being. Now, a living sacrifice, this is a conundrum. This is a, a, it seems like an an unavoidable contradiction, right? Something that's living is alive. And something that's sacrificed is classically unalive, right? Dead. It's consumed, right? A sacrifice is, is normally consumed. Now, oh, I'm going to read you guys a, a, a quick little excerpt from Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. It's, it's amazing, and he, he dissects this idea, um, and he does an, an amazing job. In light of courage, j- this, this conflict between living and sacrificing, the, the, the living sacrifice, what does this mean? Let us follow for a moment the clue of the martyr and the suicide, the martyr and the suicide, and take the case of courage. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. He that will lose his life, the same shall save it. It is not a piece of mysticism for saints and heroes. It is a piece of everyday advice for sailors and mountaineers. We can only get away from death by continually stepping within an inch of it. A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he is to cut his way out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely cling to life, for then he will be a coward and will not escape. He must not merely wait for death, for then he will be a suicide and will not escape. No philosopher, I fancy, has ever expressed this romantic riddle with adequate lucidity. And I certainly have not done so. But Christianity has done more. It has marked the limits of it in the awful graves of the suicide and the hero, showing the distance between him who dies for the sake of living and him who dies for the sake of dying. Matthew 16, 24-25 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You will only find yourself when you lose yourself. You will only find yourself when you lose yourself. Only Jesus, amen, amen. Only Jesus can give purpose to your sacrifice. Only through Jesus can your sacrifice on the altar not be consumed up as an aroma and then you're just gone, right? As a living sacrifice, we see that contradiction. One who is dead to the things of himself, but alive to the things of God. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And this life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a living sacrifice. Dead to the things of yourself, but alive to the things of God. Holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable to God. This one's difficult. This one's really difficult. Raise your hand if you're holy and acceptable. <laughs> I'm like, well, technically, through Jesus, I am holy and acceptable. I am worthy. Um, you, apart from Jesus, are not holy and acceptable. But we are called to holiness. How does that, how does that work? Um, the quality of your sacrifice matters. The quality of your sacrifice matters. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God? Well, it looks as close to Jesus as it possibly can, who was the perfect and most holy and acceptable sacrifice that was ever made. But you don't understand my family. They're so difficult. They're so mean to me. The people, when they find out that I'm a Christian, they call me weird. <laughs> the, I, don't wanna, I don't want to diminish your sacrifice. I don't want you to feel like you um, haven't given a sacrifice to the Lord when you certainly have. But in today's Christianity, in the U.S., we just saw... Uh, this video and Craig's testimony and the guys who are in Africa, we've forgotten what it means to sacrifice. So we're going to get a little perspective. We're going to get a little perspective. The year 202 AD, so this is 200, 200 years after Jesus, during a persecution of Christians under the emperor, Septimius Severus, that's a really cool name, Septimius Severus, bad dude, cool name, bad dude, cool name. He, this is crazy. So, Septimius Severus is actually the first black Roman emperor, right? So in 200 AD, the Romans were just need like a little DEI, just some diversity, equity, inclusion. They're like, look, this is looking awfully white. We need to get someone in here with some color. Okay, so real fast, because it's going to get really heavy. I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna to take this off the screen. Uh, so it was a really funny story. My Abel, you saw, it's my second to the youngest. Um, it's just hilarious. So, so this is so. What, the story that we're going to talk about here is we get as we get perspective. This takes place in Carthage, Carthage. I think it's like North Africa, um, modern day. Um, and and so so this is taking place in Africa, in Africa. And this is the first Black Roman emperor. Uh, my my kids recently had came to the understanding that they are African. And it was mind-boggling. It, like, blew their mind. And, and so they, they, know, they know that they're black. They know that Papa Jay, my dad, is black. He's super black. I'm not super black, but I am black. And then they're not super black. They're less than bla as black as I am. They're like, a, a, they're like a quarter black, right? Quarter black, which means a lot to me. <laughs> But, the, but the, the concept of African, that really threw them for a loop, African. Um, and, and, and it just, they couldn't really process it. And I'm talking to Oliver and we're going through it. 
and something came up about Africa, and I was like, hey, Bubba, you know that you're African, right? He's like, what? I was like, yeah, you're a quarter African. A, a little less because my dad's technically an eighth Cherokee. But for the most part, bro, you are a quarter African. You're a quarter African. He's like, no way. I was like, yeah, dude, you're African. And so like, that's it. It's just like had that moment. And later on in the day, Liberty, who is my daughter, she's the, the second to the oldest, right under Oliver. She comes running out of her room. She's like, dad, is it true what Bubba said? I was like, what, 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 what are you talking about? She's like, am, am I actually African? And I was like, you are a quarter African. How does that feel? She's like, that's crazy. And she's like, well, what about Elliot? I was like, he too is a quarter African. <laughs> and then Abel was, was a baby, a, a smaller baby than he was. He couldn't walk yet. And, and she goes, and, and what about Abel? And I was like, yes. Abel, too, is an African. She goes, oh, my goodness, a baby African. <laughs> Just the funniest thing in the world. I mean, how could you not have five kids when the kids are like that? It's just like, it's remarkable. Anyway, so that is completely irrelevant to the story, but... It's going to get heavy. We're going to talk about some martyrdom, some sacrifice. So I wanted to lighten the load a little bit. We have, we have Septimius Severus, the first African, a little African Roman Empire. How cool is that? Uh, in words of liberty. So the first black Roman emperor, really cool little tidbit of information. And so he, there's a group of Christians that died together in the arena at Carthage. Among, among those were two young women, one Perpetua, one Perpetua, Perpetua, who had a, a nursing, a young child still nursing. And, and the other was Felicitas, who was, the child, who was with child and pregnant. She was in her third trimester. This is a picture, not a picture, a drawing. They didn't have cameras back then, just in case you're not following. But this is a drawing of them. This is them. This is presumably Perpetua on, on the left, on our left, with the baby, and Felicitas, who is with child. Now, as they were awaiting trial, they're in prison. They had many visitors, one of them being Perpetua's father, who begging her to just renounce her faith in Jesus and save herself, which she refused. She said, And I grieved over the gray hairs of my father, that he alone of all my kindred would have no joy in my death. And I comf comforted him, saying, On that scaffold... Whatever God wills shall happen. For, for know that we are not placed in our own power, but in that of God. Now, Felicitas was eight months pregnant, and the law did not allow pregnant women to be executed. The law did not allow pregnant women to be executed. But here in California, we will allow pregnant women to execute their children. You're like, dang, I thought we, weren't, I thought we almost got to the end without like, getting all political. Um, no, but this is crazy, right? This, this reality, that, as grotesque as they were, they would throw women in with, with beasts to be torn apart, but they, they wouldn't do it to a pregnant woman. How far our society has fallen. Now, she was eight months pregnant, and the law did not allow pregnant women to be executed. She was worried that her death would be postponed. How does that work? Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me, they're like, hey, so, hey uh, Felicitas, you're pregnant, and we actually don't execute pregnant women. 
Um, and she was like, not like, yes, praise the Lord, right? She was worried that her death would be postponed and that she wouldn't get to die alongside her fellow Christians. Her and her companions prayed that she would deliver a healthy baby early, that she could be killed alongside her brothers and sisters. God answered her prayer. She ended up miraculously going into labor and delivering a healthy baby at eight months. And a servant of the jailer said to her, if you cry out like that now, speaking of her childbirth, what will you do when you're thrown to the beasts? Would you despise when you refuse to sacrifice? And she replied, now it is I that suffer what I suffer, but then another will be in me who will suffer for me because I also am about to suffer for him. The day of their demise, no, the day of their victory shone forth and they proceeded from the prison to the amphitheater as if to an assembly joyous and of brilliant countenance. At the gate, the guards were going to dress them in the robes of those dedicated to Saturn and to Ceres, but the noble-minded woman, noble-minded woman said, we are here precisely for refusing to honor your gods. By our deaths, we have earned the right not to wear such garments. The guards recognized the justice in her words and let them wear their own clothing. The men of their company were scheduled to be killed by beasts, but the wild boar turned on its keeper instead, and the bear refused to leave its cage. The leopard, however, just in case it, it was getting too happy for you, the leopard, however, attacked Satyrus and mortally wounded him. He died. He gone. He bade farewell to his friends, Nope. He bade farewell to his guard, Pudens, encouraging him to obey God rather than man, and then fell unconscious. For the young woman, there was prepared a fierce bull. A fierce bull. Perpetua was first led in. She was tossed. And when she saw that her tunic was torn from her side, she drew it as a veil over her middle, rather mindful of her modesty than of her sufferings. There's a sermon about midriffs in here somewhere, but I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm not, just know that it's there. Just know that it's there. <laughs> then she was called up again and bound up her disheveled hair. For it is not becoming of a martyr to die with disheveled hair, which is a sign of mourning. I really don't want anyone to think that for one second I'm mourning this death. No. This is, this is a moment where I get to identify with my Jesus. She saw Felicity or Felicitas wounded and took her hand and raised her up. And at the demand of the populace, they were given a respite from the bulls. Now, all the prisoners were to be slain with the sword. The people that didn't, make, the people that didn't get killed with the beasts... Now they're going to get killed with the sword. And they went to the center of the arena, first exchanging a farewell kiss of peace. The others died, unmoving and silent. But when the awkward hand of the young executioner bungled her death stroke, that's kind of assuming that maybe he missed her neck and hit her in the side or something like that, Perpetua cried out in pain and herself guided his hand to her throat. Possibly, possibly, this is the author, such a woman could not have been slain unless she herself willed it 
because she was feared by the impure spirit. Now, the assumption of the author here is that there was a demon that had possessed the executioner to carry out this will of the enemy. But the faith of Perpetua was so strong that that demon couldn't even bring himself to do it. He was scared. He was scared of her. Now, in light of these examples of sacrifice, these examples of sacrifice, everyone says that they want to be a servant like Jesus until it's time to do servant like Jesus things. Right? Holy and acceptable to God. Holy, this was holy and acceptable to them. To them. Not only was it holy and acceptable, it was reasonable. Your reasonable service to God. We're getting back to the first question, right? We opened with a question. What is your reasonable service to God? Well, your reasonable service to God is every living part of you. Willfully, wholefully, and set apart given completely to him. Everything. Your reasonable service to God is everything. Every interaction, every addiction, every relationship, every word that comes out of your mouth. All of it. Everything. But wait, Micah, that sounds kind of legalistic, right? Just like, the, can we just stop at the grace stuff? Just like, can you just do all the grace stuff? Just take away all the other stuff. I don't want to remember what I'm... I just want to revel in the grace. And you can revel in the grace in light of the mercy. Well, the beautiful thing about this sacrifice, about sacrificing everything to God, is that he is worth it, but through Jesus, he doesn't demand it of us. Just because... He's worth it. He is worthy of everything. That is his worth. That's his reasonable worth. It's not even that impressive. Is everything. But our Jesus doesn't demand it from us. He pays it for us. He doesn't demand it from us. He pays it for us. You see, in the Old, in the Old Testament, this concept would be seen as a required sacrifice to pay off a spiritual debt. But through Jesus, it's not a bill to be paid, but an act of worship, of worship. In the King James Version, it's translated reasonable service. But if you have a different version of the Bible, maybe the ESV, something maybe a little more literal, it's translated as spiritual worship, spiritual worship. Worship. Jesus is the only one who can take the most gruesome, torturous, uncomfortable experience with coworkers, losing a job because you stood up for what's right. Only he can take that experience and turn it into worship. Jesus doesn't remove the sacrifice from your life. He gives it purpose and value and fulfillment. My reasonable service to God is every single part of me because he gave up everything for me. And it's not an outstanding balance that I have to cringe at every time I think of it. Like credit card debt, it's not that. 
It's an act of willful worship that I get to, I get to give back to him. And in it, I receive the blessing of being able to identify with his inheritance. See, he's not a tyrant God. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already willingly done. He doesn't ask us to give anything that he hasn't already willingly given. He walked through the most gruesome and the most undeserved suffering first and in our place. So you were created to serve. You were created to serve. But God will not force you to serve him. Remember what Joshua said? Choose this day whom you will serve. Not if you will serve. Not whether or not you feel like serving. You will wake up tomorrow morning and you will serve something. You will serve someone. Either yourself and ultimately death. Or the Lord and life. Going back to this verse in 1 Chronicles 29. Remember um, King David was... He's worshiping, he's rejoicing at the willful sacrifice of the people. The sacrifice that they gave, not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, but out of adoration. It says, therefore, I'm going to read some before we get to verse 14, starting at verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Of your own we have given you. The only thing I can give to God, he has already given me first. Romans 5.8, as we close, says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us in the darkness of our sin. So it would be reasonable for us to live for him in the light of his grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to pray, but after we pray, we're going to sing a song. Shocker. (laughs) Oh, the singer's going to sing. Um, the song is called Worthy of It All. And it's just going to be me on the keyboard, Kelly singing. And this is that moment for you where you recognize the things in your life that he is worthy of. He's not holding you at gunpoint and saying, give it to me. But he's just waiting for you to give it to him willingly. And as we sing this this song, worthy of it all, you are worthy of it all, you are worthy of it all. In light of all of the things you've had mercy on my own life for, you're worthy of it. And let this mark that moment in your life where you give over that thing that you've been holding on to because you feel like maybe God's, he doesn't need it. 
You're right, he doesn't need it. But only in losing that, only in losing yourself, will you find actual fulfillment. You're depressed, you're lonely, you're worried, you're anxious because you haven't given those things to the Lord. You're holding on to them and he wants to take it from you. He wants you to take on his burden, which is light and easy. Not the burden of sin, not the burden of death. You can't pay it on your own. You need help and Jesus will help you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for everything you've given us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that we don't deserve it, but we get it. Father, we're, we come before you just recognizing and declaring that you are worthy of it all. Lord, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our adoration, Lord. And so we give it to you now. Lord, we declare that you are worthy and that we love you. In your mighty name, amen.